Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome once again to the Crowdmakers. I'm Bill Gertine, and with me is a very special guest and who I was introduced by a good friend, and uh, he has been in the fight business for 50-plus years and has wisdom to share for anyone in sports and entertainment. He is Roy Engelbrecht, CEO of Engelbrecht Promotions and Events. Roy, welcome to the Crowdmakers. Thank you, Bill. I've not only been in the fight business, but I've been in the sports business for 50 years and have made my living in sports. So I'm very, very blessed, but great to be on the podcast today. Well, tell, take us back to the very beginning. How in the world does a guy that's been 50 plus years in sports get his start? Where did it all begin for you? Um, yeah. I was a PE major. I got my undergraduate degree in physical education at Little Christian College in Siloam Springs, Arkansas, John Brown University. Got my master's in administration only got my master's because my mother said at that time, hey, if you get your master's, you can get a lifetime teaching credential. Um, you know, Bill, I, I, have, I have no idea why I've been successful putting butts in seats for 50 years. It, there was no courses in physical education at that time, and my master's in education didn't do that. There was an opening for the sports information director at UC Irvine, which was a Division II school then, and it was close to where we were living at the beach in Newton. In Newport Beach, and uh, I <laughs> went and applied, never having a journalism course in my life. But one of my the people I worked for back in Arkansas was Wally Moon, who was a big Dodger hero, and the athletic director was really caught up into celebrities. So when I put as a reference Wally Moon, he called Wally, and Wally said, Hire Roy. And the AD was so enthralled that he talked to Wally Moon that that was good enough. <laughs> so <laughs> I got the job at, 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 at Irvine and then really became trying to put butts in seats and we had a suit for a Z car and all those promotions. So it was just, it was just seat of my pants, sports marketing and promotions is how I did it. I just used my brain and, and, and no course. Now that doesn't bode well for all those master of sports management that 400 colleges are offering and taking $25,000 from their students I didn't pay a cent. I just did it. So you started creating these fight cards in cities and towns all across California. Uh, I believe that you're probably the number one promoter of fights now across the state of California. Uh, What was the first fight that you started in? And and when did the bug really bite you to be in the fight business? Were you a fighter yourself? No, except with my brother. That that, 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 That was the only fist of cuffs there. Um, I spent almost eight years as director of promotions for the L.A. Lakers, and the L.A. Kings and the Forum. I worked for Jack Kent Cook his last five years and Jerry Buss's first three years. And I, my office was next to the 
boxing promoter back in 1975. And I went to the boxing shows and saw that. And after we won a championship in 1980, there were seven of us in, in management that got rings along with the players. So that was no reason for me to stay any longer. I got my championship ring, then I'm not going to play. And I left and went on my own. And I realized that, boy, there were only like 10 fight boxing promoters in California at that time in 1985. And seven of the 10 were probably very shady characters. I said, you know, that's something I can get into. I didn't want to be open a dry cleaning store. There's a dry cleaners at every other corner. I didn't want to open a pizza parlor. There's a pizza place. You want to get into something where there's not a lot, not a lot of competition. And for $500 back then, I could get my promoter's license and which gives me the right to be a to own a major league franchise because, and except my sport was fighting. I had to do the same things that Jerry Jones has to do and Stan Gronke has to do and Steve Bolzner has to do, venues, sell tickets, make a pay payroll. My sport was just fighting at that time. So you and started, you got your, you got your license and you had to have had your first event. When was that and where was it? That was February 16th, 1985, and that was at the Irvine Marriott Hotel, which had just been built. It was a five-star hotel at the Orange County Airport, and I had just secured the radio rights to UC Irvine basketball. They had hired this unbelievable coach, and I went. And all the athletes that come to play Irvine were staying at this new Irvine Marriott, and I went there to sell them some radio time and sat down with the marketing director, a guy named Ed Perenza. If you can believe that, 1985, I still remember his name. And I've always talked about being an entrepreneur and developing entrepreneurial eyes and ears. That means seeing something before anybody else does or hearing something and turn it into a business. And I sat with Ed and I said, he said to me, the first thing I said, he had spent time at the Lakers and Kings. He said, Roy, boxing ever do anything in Orange County, which I thought was a strange question. And if I wouldn't have had entrepreneurial ears, I would have said no and moved on to try to sell him this radio time. But I said one word why? And he said, well, I just came from the Portland Marriott and some guy was wanting to put boxing in our ballroom at the Portland Marriott. And I thought that was crazy. Well, I'm on my own now. It was a couple of years after I left the Lakers and Kings. I said, well, would you be interested in putting in your ballroom? He said, well, we've only been open two months, hmm, but let me think about that. He called me a week later and said, Roy, my general manager will give you the ballroom at the Irvine Marriott and for free. And what I found out, Bill, is that the, the new general manager was a single guy and kind of a playboy. And he thought it would be cool to have boxing in the ballroom. <laughs> and we did our first show. We had sold we sold 300 tickets. We put 1,200 chairs in this 14,000 square foot ballroom. We going into the day of the show, we had 300 tickets. To make a long story short, we turned away 200 people, sold out the place. Wow. And the rest is history. Literally, the rest is history because you've done it for now 35 plus years. You've been able to sell out venues like that. So it's, it's astonishing how you've survived as the sport has evolved in the great many years that you've been a part of it. Who is the fight customer today? And how is that different than perhaps when you started in 85? Absolutely. It's a great, great question. Um, from the boxing standpoint, traditional, it's, it's certainly the Hispanic consumer because 85% of the fighters are, are Hispanic. So you have the Hispanic consumer for boxing. You also have uh, 
the older uh, white fan in his 50s that remember the great and 60s that remember the good days of, of uh, Ali and Tyson and so forth. Then you have MMA. Remember, MMA 20 years ago was, was hardly around. Mixed martial arts is fighting. So you now have for MMA, you have the Gen X, the Gen Z, the millennials who have gyrated to this MMA sport because they all come from a gaming background. A lot of them are into esports or gaming. And MMA is just taking your fighting with your on your computer and watching it now in a ring on that. And what's happened in the last year, Bill, is that influencers have come on the scene with these crazy shows. Logan Paul, a big influencer, will fight a nobody, and he has 10 million followers, and he'll promote the fact, watch me fight with big gloves. And a lot of influencers, a lot of his fans who have never been to a fight before will, will pay $49.99 to see their influencer fight, so they bring it. And, and they surround that fight with other legitimate fights. So the fight business, I think, has never been healthier. Bill, when the UFC sells their, the UFC sells three years ago for $4.2 billion to Endeavor William Morris, the most any franchise in any sport has ever sold, there must be something there. Crazy. Well, you mentioned that influencer and the fact that certainly they didn't exist. Logan Paul's didn't exist 10 years ago. And so the promoting of the fights must be one of those keys to your success. It certainly is a much different way to promote than when you started 35 years ago. Much of it has given way to these influencers, the digital age, if you will. What are you finding as the most successful ways to promote a fight today? Do you still print up posters? Do you have a ticket sales staff? What does it look like? We don't do posters anymore. We used to do posters, absolutely. But, but social media has completely changed the face of how uh, a sport is, or our sport is being marketed. And remember, I tell folks, I'm the king of minor league fighting. That's, that's key for us. We don't have to fill 20,000 seats. I only have to fill 1,300 seats on that. So what we do, every one of the fighters on our card has a following, has a Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter. So my, my, my son, who has worked with me for 12 years, just creates a great-looking flyer, if you will, and uh, online has our graphics person created. We send it to the fighter. And he then pushes it out on his social media. And if we have six fights, 12 fighters who are local, they have a big following and they're pushing out their individual nice looking uh, flyer with their face and when they're going to fight and, uh, and how to click for tickets. And fifth, we sell a lot of tickets that way and it costs us nothing. Then, Bill, what we did, which no one else, and here we are in 2021 and promoters and either other ones don't do this. Let's go back to the Irvine Marriott, February 16th, 1985. At about two in the afternoon, why? Remember, I'm a PE major. What do I know? About two in the afternoon, I said to my partner, Don Frazier, I said, Don, you know, shouldn't we know who's coming tonight if people show up? Shouldn't we get their names and addresses? This is before email. <laughs> And he said, yeah, do what you want to do, Roy. So I went upstairs to at the Marriott office, a plain piece of paper on a, on a typewriter that had the ball. Remember when you clicked it and the ball moved? And if you want to receive information on a future 
fight, please give us your name and address. And I put like four up on a sheet and ran it off on a ditto machine. Back time, the ditto machine had that blue ink. And if you oh, smelled it, you could get high. Or oh, whatever. yeah, like purple, blue, right? And you cranked it. Yeah, absolutely. I cut it and put one on every seat. And our ring announcer made announcements to fill it out. We had our ring card girls collect it. And we walked out of there with 400 names of addresses of people who have been to the show. I tell people for 30 years, your best customer is the person that bought a ticket and came to your show. Advertising in the LA Times for your show, when only 5% of the folks are interested, is wasted money. Do, do that. And I took those to a mailing house. And the next show we did the next month, we collected more. And we eventually ended up with about 21,000 names. Mm that we then didn't have to advertise. We just did a flyer, put it in an envelope, the mailing house, put the label on it and sent it out on bulk rate. And that's how we sold our tickets. Now, what value was that? I'll tell you how. In 1981, I think, Oscar De La, it was announced that Oscar De La Hoya will fight um, Shane Mosley, two LA guys. The first time in the Staples Center. The Staples Center had just opened up and this was going to be a mega fight. Oh. I got a call from Tim Lywicki's office. Tim Lywicki was running the Staples Center. She said, Roy, Tim would like to meet with you. You could, you could come up. Sure. I was going, wow. Tim, Tim Lywicki wants to talk to me. Go up there, meet in his office. He says, Roy, you probably read that I just paid Bob Arum $8 million site fee to get the Mosley De La Hoya fight. So, because I think we can sell this out. So I said to Bob, Aram, I said, Bob, I just gave you $8 million. How am I going to sell 20,000 seats? He, Bob said, well, Tim, there's a little promoter in Orange County that I understand has been collecting addresses of people that have been to his boxing events. And Tim says, is that you? That must be you. I said, it sure is. He said, I, he said well, how many do you have? I said, about 20,000. He said, Roy, what would you take if we wanted to buy that for a one-time mailing. Now, Bill, no one had ever asked me that. And here I am with Tim Lywicki. I didn't want to sound, I didn't want to go, uh, uh, and it's happening in microseconds. And I just said, um, $30,000. And Tim looks at his assistant. The guy says, hmm, that sounds good. Tim says, fine. Uh, Brad will be contacting you. Uh, send us an inverse for the thirty thousand. I'm driving down back down the Newport Beach, saying to myself, "I just made thirty thousand dollars for doing something that everybody should do if they're in business for themselves." And 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 that's why. And to this day, we still collect emails. We have a database of about twenty eight thousand emails, and that's how we market. We just send an email blast out to those twenty eight thousand, and. Uh, we sell out. Life is good. Well, and now data departments and business intelligence have multiple people in them and they're a staple of any pro sports organization. So you may have been the first BI department in pro sports way back right. then. Your Orange County Fight Club is still in existence, correct? Absolutely. We're in, we're in our 12th year. Terrific. And, and as I understand it, you do six events a year at the Orange County Fair and Event Center there in Costa Mesa. Is that right? Correct. That's it. So you sell season tickets to that event, which, of course, many people who are listening also sell season tickets to their stick and ball events. What sorts of special perks do you include in your season ticket fight package to encourage people to buy more than just a single event? We sell out. Oh, so it's that's demand. We, we Absolutely. 
you don't we don't provide any perks. We are the only show in Orange County. Orange County has three million inhabitants. We're in a very upscale area of California. We're the only show. If you want to see the fights, if you want to see MMA and boxing, you come to our show. We've had season seat holders since the Irvine Marriott since February 16th, about since 1985, that have been passed down to their sons and their grandsons. Season ticket holders have died and the tickets have gone to their sons on that. When you have the only show and you know what it is, Bill, it's because we have a 1300 seat venue for 30 years. Season ticket holders have come to us and said, boy, why don't you move down? Why don't you go to the Brenz Center at UC Irvine? That's 5,000 seats. And I always think about, well, you know, I could go down there and I might be able to sell a thousand, do a special student rate and get some of the students on campus. So I could have maybe, I could go from 1,300 seats to 2,500 seats. But if I had 2,500 seats at the Bren Center, I'd have 2,500 empty seats. And right. perception is the key. When you go to Fight Club OC, it's sold out. You're standing there walking around for the first time saying, man, this is the place to be. Perception is the key. I tell people, Bill, I can make $15,000 30 times. It's very hard to make $450,000 one time. And to this day, a lot of people who want to own their own business or become a promoter of any kind think they have to be in a big venue because they want to be like Stan Kroenke. They want to be like Steve Balsner and they lose their shirts. Be happy with $15,000 each show and trying to hit instead of trying to hit a home run. And that's why I'm very proud that we're king of minor league fighting. Well, you have been such an integral part of this. I mean, Roy Engelbrecht <laughs> promotions and events is Roy Engelbrecht. And, yeah. you know, you are the brand in many cases. And I know customer service is a big deal to you. You certainly can't be the one serving hot dogs. You can't be the one pouring beers. What do you do to help maintain a high level of service to those who buy a ticket from you? Well, do it at great venues. When you're at the ballroom at the Irvine Marriott, how we, we were there for 25 years, they drive up, there's valet parking, hmm. but they walk into the lobby. The lobby is awesome. They had a champion sports bar. It was the place to be. So you all, they were already playing the game. I like to tell folks, I want my fans to start playing the game before they walk into the ball, ballroom. So, so that was it you know what? Spend a little more. We pride ourselves that we're kind of the staple center, but miniaturized on that. Customer service is giving them value. On my wall here, as I said, we have give them great entertainment at a great price in a great invite, in a great venue and say thank you and mean it and they will come back. And if you don't, you have to do all of those. If you give them great entertainment at a great price in a bad venue and say thank you, they're not going to come back. Retention is the key. You know, I don't have uh, a Patrick Mahone playing for me. I don't have, I'm not Manny Pacquiao. I was not fighting on my card. <laughs> I'm a minor league promoter because I come from a minor league baseball ownership background. It's more about the entertainment than it is about what's happening in the ring of the cage because our fans don't know those fighters. They're coming there for a fun Thursday night to stand, to network, to smoke a cigar and so forth. 
And that's what we do. Our customer service is giving them, is over-delivering, over-delivering in the show. Absolutely. You talked a little bit about your minor league baseball background. I want to explore that a little bit because what I'm hearing is a lot like a minor league baseball show, only done in a boxing ring. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your background in that and what you learned in minor league baseball that you've been able to carry forward. Um, Well, I think it was 1984. You know, every 1984, every guy, including you, Bill, probably at one time when you were younger saying, boy, it was fun to work for a minor league baseball team. Of course. Forget owning a minor league baseball team because remember 30 40 years ago 50 years ago minor league baseball wasn't on really on the map it was more of a mom and pop operation you had a franchise the wife and the kids ran the concession stand and it wasn't it wasn't the wow but i read a story again entrepreneurial eyes in the la times one sunday morning business section bottom of the fold saying the inland empire is the fastest growing area in california well Anybody who didn't have entrepreneurial eyes could have cared less. But I looked through that story and I said, wait a minute, if it's the fastest growing area in the state, that means people are moving there. That means they need some entertainment. And at that time, Riverside, San Bernardino, Inland Empire had no sports except high school. So I said, wait a minute, I want to, I want to, minor league baseball would go great there. And that's when they had the California League. But the closest team in the Cal League was Bakersfield. It was nothing in Southern California. Drove out to San Bernardino, sat in the McDonald's, walked the streets. I said, boy, these people look like they would love baseball. Not soccer, baseball. And I didn't have the money, but I had a friend who know Barry Axelrod, who was Mark Harmon's attorney, Mark Harmon, the CSNCI. Yeah. I did a little presentation. I met Barry. I said, Barry, you don't know me. I spent eight years with the Lakers Kings. Here's my ring. Trust me, Barry. Minor League Baseball, if we buy a franchise, it'll go in San Bernardino, at which that time was a very, the city was really kicking. And I said, we can buy a team for $260,000, the Ventura Gulls. Barry looked at me, and a week later, I think, he called back and said, Roy, you've got Mark's money. Let's go buy that team. And I had ownership of 10% as sweat equity for putting the deal, deal together. We bought the Ventura Gulls and moved it to San Bernardino, became the San Bernardino Spirit. We were an independent the first year. The second year, we signed with Seattle. They sent us an 18-year-old left-handed center fielder who played great. Next year, that 18-year-old left-handed center fielder was starting in the All-Star game, and we know who that was, Ken, Ken Griffey Jr. And the rest is history. We moved. It was, we sold out every game. The city of San Bernardino would not build this uh, stadium. We moved to Rancho Cucamonga because they said, if we build it, will you come? We said, yes. We became the Quakes, sold at every game there. And about 12 years ago, sold that team to the Brett Brothers for $6.5 million. And we made money all those years. So the 260000 And then, if you remember back then, everybody got it. Bill Murray got into a team. And it became, minor league baseball became the hot thing. And it was about entertainment. Bill, without a doubt. We got a great mascot, not a meet and greet mascot. I found a great guy that knows how to be a mascot. We had a great announcer who interacted with it. And we had the craziest stunts. Matter of fact, when Disney bought the Angels, remember, bought the Disney company owned the Angels. They knew about us and they sent six or eight people almost every game out to watch the Quakes play to learn what we were doing on that. 
and uh, and the rest is history. It's it's about our level is about entertainment. We're not, you know, we, we don't. You're not going to a Chiefs game. You're not going to a Raiders game where you're emotionally involved in it. You're going because it's just a night out. The ticket prices are not very much, and you're having fun. That's great. So the fight business, of course, does rely on occasion on the person that you have on the card or the persons that you have. And there are some people that are, are more likely to draw to OC Fight Club than some others. How do you go about pricing each of your individual events? And does it vary based on the quality of the name of the fighters? No, no, it doesn't. We, our, our ticket prices are the same. We haven't raised our ticket prices in five years. Because I'm, I'm, I, I realize, again, it's the whole, I can make $15,000 30 times. I can't make $450 one time. And again, too many people try to make the $450, so they charge $100 tickets for a D act. You can't get $100 for D act. You can get $100 for an A act, but the fights that they put on are C and D acts on that. And I realize that. We keep it, and we have local fighters. We have a kid in August uh, for our first August show sold 160 tickets. We $60 is the highest price ticket, which is the lowest of anybody. We give our fighter $10 because I can make money at $50. This kid sold 160 tickets. I gave him a $1,600 commission check for fighting. He was only making a thousand. He made more money on his commission than he did in fighting. But for some of these kids, he walked out of there with $2,600 which to a 19-year-old kid is a lot of money. Local fighters who can sell tickets, we only have 1,300 seats to fill. It's packed. The perception is this is the most fun you could have on a Thursday night in Orange County, and, and, and that's what we do. We, we Local fighters, give them a commission, fill the place. Really interesting philosophy and obviously very successful at it. Sponsorships are obviously a big deal in sports, no different in your business. Having a sponsor that you can count on year in and year out has got to be pretty important to your bottom line. Of course, the sponsorship landscape has gone through a sea change here in the last 15 to 18 months. What is your approach to a potential sponsor today? How do you present the opportunity that you, rep- that you have that you bring? Sellouts. That's it. We haven't lost the sponsor. We have 10 VIP suites, all-inclusive VIP suites. I thought when we moved to the hangar that there'd be a chance to create some platforms that are 20 feet long and 20 feet wide, and we'd be all-inclusive. Because if you go to the Staples Center for a Lakers game or the Ducks game, they have suites. I said, we can do suites. Let's put our own refrigerator in there, all-you-can-eat buffet. We, we created 10 of those. We've been sold out for 12 years. The sponsor, they, don't, they, they love that. It's very economical. Um, so that's it. We, we, we a sponsor doesn't want to lose that position. And with, when we are the only show in Orange County and we haven't raised the price, that's it. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't, Bill, we don't attract any major sponsors. We don't have television. We're not on NBC. We're not on ESPN. So we're only really selling eyeballs. We're selling the 1,300 people with the 2,600 eyeballs. You know what it is, Bill? The few sponsors we have, they feel like they own the show. Hmm. There's not 75 signs or gobos around the venue. It's only six sponsors. So they feel ownership 
So when the boss, the law firm that comes and brings his 10 clients, there's Callahan and Blaine up in a gobo there. There's Callahan and Blaine there. They feel ownership. And <laughs> it's a pretty easy sell. All we do is retain them and send them a renewal and we don't raise the price. Well, you've got such energy to you, Roy. And, and before we started this program, this broadcast together, you shared with me this wall. You showed me on this the video here of, of the different sayings that you have, the things that you have lived by and that uh, you use every day to be yes. able to continue to be successful. Uh, share for us, if you wouldn't mind, maybe just half a dozen or so of those that perhaps are your favorites. All right. I'm going to turn and look at the wall here because there are some. Um, one is Half of being smart is knowing what you're dumb at. <laughs> Another one, deciding what not to do is as important as what to do. Mm. Another one, um, what do you love so much that you would do it for free? And that's a goal you have. Now, I know people have to pay their rent and they have to pay their car payment and put food on the table. But if you could find something that what you love, you would do it for free. Another one, and this is from Kirk Akorian, who used to own, I mean, was a big uh, billionaire. You should, it should never be about the money. It should be about what is fair. That's awesome. You have so much there. I'm sure we could spend another hour talking about that's <laughs> on the wall. We could. As we wrap up, I have a few fill-in-the-blank questions for you, these rapid-fire questions that are kind of Good. fun for our listeners to be able to, to get to know you a little bit better, Roy. Uh, your favorite binge watch during the pandemic? Um. <laughs> Z Nation on Netflix. Oh, okay. Uh, besides sports and fighting, obviously, the one thing that you missed most during COVID? Uh, working and putting on our shows. Sure. I'm a workaholic. I don't have, I don't play golf. I don't have a lot of hobbies. Okay. Uh, favorite musical artist on your workout mix? I'm sure you've got a workout mix, right, Roy? I do. There's only one kind of music, and that's country. <laughs> what did the blues brothers say we have both kinds country and western no we, we, we don't call it country and western anyway. anybody says country and western they're 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 not a country fan i got merle haggard and george jones the possum is live and well awesome the board game that you pulled out and played in 2020 that you never thought would see the light of day in your house um it wasn't a board game but dominoes ah that works uh, the venue you would love to do an event with that's on your bucket list. You know, I, I, I hate to think because this kind of like an ego. I've done shows at Madison Square Garden, Staples Center, the Forum, the Cole L.A. Coliseum. Um, I, 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 I don't really have, you know, I shouldn't say that. So SoFi Stadium where the Rams play. People that watched the game last Sunday is that that's a phenomenal venue. I mean, it is it is a eighth wonder of the world. There, that would be fun, but it would be it's gonna it'd be very hard to fill ninety thousand seats. But that'd be fun. I, that'd be a fun challenge. That'd be fun. Uh, your favorite thing about California? Weather. Yeah, I can believe that. The weather. Uh, do you have a favorite comedian or comedian? Um. Well, I was I I I watched Seinfeld every episode. Uh, I would say every episode, maybe twenty times. Wow! Where I'm mouthing those and and I'm saying the response before it's said. And Nancy, it just laughs when I do that. But there's never been a better four people in a uh, 
in a sit sitcom than George and Jerry and Kramer and Elaine. You sure put Elaine in there. She counts. Yeah. The biggest hurdle you have to overcome in the next six months from a business perspective. Um, trying to make sense of COVID decisions that are being made. Do we have to mask? Do we not have to mask? Do we have to get a vaccine? Do we have to get a vaccine card? Do we have to show the card? Every state, every county has different restrictions. And so it's hard as a promoter to, to know what you can and cannot do. So I, I would love to think that there'd be a, some national clarity to that, even in California. Now with the election, Governor Newsom, he might clamp down because he doesn't have to worry about re-election or the recall. So that's right. the toughest thing for us. Great. Last one. One bold prediction that you would have for sports in general going forward. There could be a few major league, major franchises, major league franchises. I'm talking about NFL, NBA, and so forth. That in a couple of years could be in real financial trouble. Hmm. They're either going to be sold or they're going to move to another city. All right. We'll be watching to see if that comes true. And uh, I'm not sure that I hope it does, but uh, yeah. we'll certainly see that it happens here. Roy, how can people get a hold of you? Right. I've got, yeah. My email is boxing77 at AOL.com. A lot of people are going to laugh. He's an AOL guy, but boxing77 at AOL.com. You know, God has blessed me. I've been blessed to make a great living in the sports business for 50 years. So if I can help other people, make be a success and make a living that that is giving back so anyone that's on this podcast that has questions or want to spend some time email me at boxing77 at aol.com and be glad to spend time with them well the king of minor league fighting i'm grateful for you to spend the time here roy engelbrecht ceo of engelbrecht promotions and events thanks so much for being a part of the crowd makers today great bill thank you if you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of The Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening, and so long for now. This is The Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>